We are going to continue our morning of worship um, with communion right now. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that uh, we like to do communion a little differently sometimes. So around the room, there are four different stations where you can find both the bread and the cup. Um, and we usually play a video or play a song, and you guys walk up, get your communion, and then come back and sit down and take it when you're ready. We're going to do things a little differently uh, today, not in terms of walking up and grabbing the communion, but there's going to be a video playing uh, after I do our, our morning scripture reading uh, that is kind of like an if-then kind of thing. Um, you'll, see, you'll be watching different scenarios of people who have to make choices, so kind of in, you know, tying in with our series. Uh, if I, so for example, if I choose to practice for the big game, I'll do better. Or if I choose to uh, sit on the couch and play video games, uh, I drop the pass. You know, something like that. Uh, so just kind of focusing on the, uh, the different decisions that we get to make, uh, looking at the, the doors that are open to us and seeing um, what, uh, where our decisions ultimately take us. Now, the part that's going to be different is our moment of silence is actually going to come at the end of the video. Okay, so it's, it's a shorter video, so you'll want to make sure that you're catching uh, what's coming in. But at the end of the video, we're going to have about a minute, and you're going to have that chance to reflect on maybe a situation you're in at work, a uh, situation you know, you're going into school, students, um, wherever you're at. There's, there's going to be a big decision coming up for you soon. Which path are you going to take? Are you going um, to dive in? Are you going to execute what you have to do uh, to get to make sure that you have that positive result? Or are you just going to kind of sit back and drift and uh, you know, let, let things happen as they come at you? So, again, we'll receive communion and then sit down. And in that minute of silence, nothing's gone wrong. All right, Don't panic. Um, but we'll have about a minute to just really, again, find that one thing in your life, that one decision that's coming up or that one decision you know you're going to have to make. Uh, and again, just think about the options that you've got. Our, our morning scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 11. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as, for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. The future is a million little choices. Practice or play video games. Two hours in the gym or two hours at the movies. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down on your anger. Get up or push the snooze button again. 
take a potential client to the game, or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself, or give it to a ministry that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. Father, we all have a million little choices to make. And no matter how seemingly insignificant some of them are, some of them can change the course of our lives or someone else's. I pray for wisdom, for discernment, that we would come to you to find our right path, to not try and figure it out on our own, because we know how that works out. God, help us to search for your wisdom and your guidance like silver, like it's treasure. And follow your path all the way to the end. We love you and we thank you. Amen. All right, so again, um, we are going to continue in our series, our summer series. And we have the pleasure of listening to John. Well, pleasure if you like John Beaker. If you don't, um, you can... Go ahead and take a nap. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, John, John's going to be coming back up. And again, uh, John, I, I have to poke a little fun at him because he, he got me a very cool uh, wedding gift, and he's been sending me just the cheesiest jokes, teasing me about what it is. And he technically still hasn't told me what it is, but uh, he's been grilling me all week with all of these different uh, little, uh, what, what did you say last night? You best be quiet, but he put it uh, in, in the BBQ, uh, in, in order. So he's been, he's been sending me all these little hints and clues, and I have no idea what it is. Uh, but either way, um, John has uh, been doing a great job uh, with this. So again, let's welcome him to the stage right now. <laughs> My whole family just got up and left. I don't know if that's uh, good or bad. Probably not good. Well, So over the course of the summer, we've been talking about open doors, opportunities given to us by God to act with God or for God. And as near as I can tell, there are two different types of people in in the world. There are those types of people who uh, take initiative, who try to understand as best they can what it is that God wants them to do. And and they they study, uh, they they try to uh, take advantage of the open door opportunities that God provides of their own volition, 
Right? They, they make good choices. Other people have their progress towards the open door initiated by a swift kick in the pants from Susan Beaker or their wife, whatever, whatever the case may be. I meant to say my wife. Unfortunately, I fall in the second category. You see, when Susan and I first came to Southfield in 1999, there were rumors flying around about some sort of church day camp. Now, I'd never heard of church day camp before, uh, but I was told it was kind of like a vacation Bible school, except it was nothing like vacation Bible school. So I I was completely confused, uh, didn't really understand what was going on, but I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is really cool. You've got a church here, and you've got people in this church that really care about teaching little kids, about helping little kids come to an understanding of what it means uh, to love God. And I vividly remember the leader saying uh, that the number of kids that the church could minister to was directly related to the number of adult volunteers that, that would sign up. And, you know, at that point in time, I thought to myself, well, Serving kids and helping kids understand what it means to know God and love God, kind of biblical, sounds like a pretty good thing. This, this might be an open door. But at that point in my life, I, I was a lot younger back then, uh, again, I was 99, so uh, I remember thinking to myself, there's probably not a whole lot that I'm going to be able to do. Uh, I certainly, I don't know anything about teaching, so that's not going to happen. Uh, I certainly can't help with the music. I mean, that's definitely out of the question. Uh, And I didn't have any kids uh, of my own that were school age at that point. So I really didn't know anything about kids. I figured the only thing that I could really do was prevent, stand around and just prevent kids from running full speed into a tree. That that would be my, my big open door. I figured I could handle that. So I signed up for something. I don't even remember what it was. But I distinctly remember a conversation a short time later uh, where I was, uh, I was asked, I was approached and act, asked, uh, can you act? Which was hilarious because the answer was most emphatically, no, I had never done anything in front of people. I can't act. I, that, that's not my forte. I, that's, that's just not in my repertoire. When all of a sudden I heard from behind me a voice say, can he act? You bet he can. He's a real character. And I couldn't believe it because it sounded distinctly like the voice of my wife. But I knew that couldn't be the case, so I turned around to see who it was and who who could be perpetrating such a lie in the foyer of the church, no less. But all I saw was my wife standing there grinning from ear to ear. And I, I, I never saw it coming. You see, what had happened was she literally picked me up, body slammed me, and threw me hurtling toward the open door that was there. That was not my choice. That was not what I thought was going to happen. And so I started praying, God, please let it be canceled. <laughs> That only three kids would sign up. I mean, you know, how hard could it be? Three kids, right? Uh, Well, that's not what happened. Uh, Kids started signing up. 50 kids, 75 kids, 100 kids, 200. 
And with each additional sign-up, my heart went further up into my throat and my confidence just sank lower and lower. It was an impossible task. I did not have the ability to do what I was going to be, what I was asked to do, and I panicked. At this point, I realized probably a good time to start praying, and so I did, uh, praying in sincerity. God, please help me not to mess this up. Please help me to do a good job. Please help me to teach these kids in a, in a good way, uh, to teach them what is true. Help me to survive this experience. Well, God answered those prayers. Uh, we heard from Ben Mott a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he read Ephesians 3.20. and uh, reminded me, reminded us, that God is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinite, infinitely more than we might ask or even imagine, even think. God used that experience to change my life forever. I never would have chosen that door for myself. But God had a plan to use me in spite of me. And I learned that I could trust him and that he could use me to do something useful for him. It's a great lesson to learn. God wants to use us. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. That's in his plan. And he places open doors in front of us for us to walk through so that we can experience the fullness of life that he has for us. But open doors don't walk through themselves. We actually have to pick up our feet and move in the direction of the open door in order for anything to happen. Because if we don't, it won't. Now, there are a number of factors that need to be in place in our lives in order for us to become really good Door uh, opening, threshold crossing people. The first is the cooperation factor. If we hope to do any serious threshold crossing of these open doors, we need to learn how to cooperate with God. Back when I was in high school, uh, I started attending a, a church group, a youth group, that was a lot like Revive, but not as cool as Revive, at least from what I'm told. We, we played a lot of crazy games, uh, we had a lot of fun. But I remember, I distinctly remember learning a particular passage, uh, Micah 6.8. I remember it very, very well. Uh, I don't know if it was talked about all the time, but it just, it stuck in my memory, and I loved it. It goes like this. It says, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Three things. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I remember just letting that verse get a hold of me, and realizing I had to do three things. Acted a just and upright way. To love and embrace merciful actions. And to walk humbly with God. And I loved that imagery. I still love that imagery. Because to, just to follow him. Letting him lead me wherever he wanted to. Uh, was actually kind of a relief. Because I'm not a big list person. I don't like long lists of lots of things to do. Sorry. But... Three things I can remember. And that imagery of not running out in front of God, not going off in my own way, but just all I need to do is I need to walk with Him. I need to be with Him. Ugh. It was a relief to me. The imagery of, still, of just walking down that path still speaks today. Uh, and if I hope to go through an open door, if you hope to go through an open door, we can't be running ahead 
Uh, We need to follow Him, obey Him, learn from Him, basically cooperate with Him. Sometimes we're looking so hard to identify the many things that God wants to do with jobs and people and serving, that, and we're not willing to do the one thing that He asks us to do. Walk with Him. Obey Him. In the Old Testament, King Saul learned this the hard way when he was confronted by the prophet Samuel. You see, King Saul had gotten himself into a situation where God had said to do one thing, and Saul did something else. And Samuel confronts him with these words in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, Saul, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. If we're going to be great threshold-crossing servants of God, we need to start by making sure that we are doing the things that He tells us that He wants us to do in His Word. We need to cooperate with Him in the small things if our desire is to go on and be able to do bigger and bigger things. One of the biggest cries of our hearts is to know and to fulfill our purpose. We want to know the plan. Why are we here? What is God's will for our lives? That's what this whole series is about. What open doors is He providing for me? And to that end, we find a lot of comfort in verses like Romans 12, 2 that says we can actually know God's will for our lives. That's great news. We like that. But it's important for us to understand the context of those verses in order to understand how we can know God's will for us. There are a few prerequisites to knowing God's will. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, Paul writes to the Roman church, I plead with you, I beg you, I implore you to do something. He says, give your bodies your, basically your whole selves, all that you are, not 50%, not 80%, not even 99%. Give your whole selves to God, all of who you are. So what does it look like to offer our whole selves to God? Well, it means that nothing competes with God's rightful place as our director, our owner, our manager. No relationship, no habit, no thing and no thought takes God's place. Basically means no idols. When we give ourselves wholeheartedly to God, God can begin the process of transforming how we think. We start to think less like us and more like Him. And Paul writes, as that that happens, then we can learn to know God's will for us. In other words, doors that were once invisible start to become visible. We can see them. And if we can see them, we can walk through them. 
And by the way, Paul says, just in case we forgot, God's will is amazing and good and pleasing and perfect and awesome. Crossing the threshold of open doors requires our cooperation with the Spirit of God. The second factor that needs to be in play is the curiosity factor. We have to have a little bit of curiosity to look for God's will and then to do it. A number of years ago, there was a a movement that swept across churches in America uh, based on a book by a man named Rick Rick Warren. Uh, It was called The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, It was very, very familiar. A lot of people read it. Uh, Its success, in part, was due to the biblical answers it provided to the basic questions all humans ask about their existence. And if you've read the book, you're probably somewhat familiar with at least the first little snippet, the first words uh, of the book. Warren writes this. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. By His purpose and for His purpose. You see, when we view our lives from this perspective, we start to see things that typically, that we start to see the things that typically occupy our attention is not nearly as important as we make them out to be. Jesus put it this way, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, what things? The necessities, the basics, food, clothing, water, the, the things that dominate our thinking. We need to have these things. We need to work for these things that dominate our thinking. Uh, all these things will be added to you as well. But the first thing has to be first. Look for God's kingdom. Pursue his kingdom first. When we learn to shift our focus and seek God's kingdom ahead, not, not beside, not next to, but we, when we learn to seek his kingdom exclusively instead of our own kingdom, something really remarkable actually happens. We stop asking questions like, does God want me to have job A or job B? Does God want me to be in this relationship or that relationship? Does God want me to go to school, this school or that school? And we start asking other questions. We start asking questions like, how might God want to use me in my current context? Is there an opportunity to advance God's kingdom right where I am today? Or is this other opportunity over here something that God wants to use me in to fulfill something he's already doing? Or, how is God working in the life of my friend, or my spouse, or my child? And is there something that he wants me to do? You see, it's a total perspective shift. When we're wrapped up in our own kingdoms, we tend to have zero curiosity about, what, about the open doors that God wants to provide for us. And that's a real shame. Because it leads to doors that are never gone through and thresholds that are never crossed. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about prayer. And and he says these words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Put another way, if you ain't looking, you ain't finding. As uh, simple as that. Um, we need to develop a sense of curiosity by asking, by seeking, by knocking, by searching and evaluating to find the opportunities that God has designed specifically for us. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. We need to cooperate with God, and we need to have a little curiosity about his will, but we also need to properly deal with the comfort factor. The comfort factor is actually a misconception that we will always feel a complete sense of peace and serenity before we cross the threshold of an open door that God puts before us. Ortberg writes, if having a peace about it, crossing the threshold, were the ultimate criterion for going through open doors, nobody in the Bible would have done anything God asked. The sequence in the Bible is usually not calling deep feeling of peace about it, decision to obey, and then smooth sailings. Instead, it's usually calling, abject terror, decision to obey, big problems, more terror, second thoughts, repeat several times, then deeper faith. Amazing how that works. Take Moses, for example. If there was ever a man on the planet who had an open door, look him right in the face, it was Moses. The man stood before a bush that was on fire, but not burning up. God talked to him from the bush. said, Moses, I have an open door for you. This is yours. I want you to go through it. Nobody else. Listen to what God said. Exodus 3.10. Now go, for I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Open door for Moses. Couldn't be any clearer. But watch the progression of Moses' response to God. He has a number of things that that he responds with. Listen to this. Starting in verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Exodus 4.1, Moses says, What if they won't believe me? What if the Israelites don't believe me? What if they say, God never appeared to you? What do I do then? I'm not really sure about this. Exodus 4.10, Moses says, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. Finally, in verse 13 of this chapter, Moses really comes out with what is really on his mind. (laughs) Lord, Lord, please, not just send someone else, send anyone else, anyone else. What is he saying? Moses is saying, God, I am not comfortable with what you're asking me to do. I'm comfortable with being a shepherd in Midian. I'm comfortable in Midian. I'm comfortable watching sheep. I am decidedly not comfortable with taking my life into my hands and going back to Egypt to stand in front of Pharaoh to ask for him to let your people go. This cannot possibly be the open door that you have for me. I am not comfortable with this. Can you relate to Moses? I can. This is my day camp experience. Exactly, to a T. We need 
to be really careful with saying, I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z because I don't have a feeling of peace about it. There's a difference between having a peace from God that passes understanding and simply waiting and not moving because this open door over here, this day camp serving opportunity or whatever the open door is, is scary. There's a big difference between those two things. Moses did not have a peace about going back to Egypt, but he crossed the threshold and he walked through that open door anyway. Joshua did not have a peace about leading the people of Israel on their military campaign to fight for the promised land that God gave them. That's why in, Je- in Joshua 1, God has to tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Gideon did not have a sense of peace about leading a small band of raiders against a huge and massive army. But he did it anyways. God used him because he, he was obedient to the call that God placed on his life. These men and many others like them in the Bible faced extreme opposition, extreme hardship, and a lot of fear. But they did not let their lack of comfort keep them from crossing the threshold of the open door that God put before them. And neither should we. I was having a conversation with one of the members of the worship team last week, just before the service began. And they relayed to me that they get nervous every single time before the service starts. They're expressing a level of discomfort. But they then went on to perform beautifully and helped the team lead us as a church into the presence of God to affirm our love for Him and our commitment to Him. The discomfort could serve as a massive deterrent to prevent them from doing something remarkable and amazing for God and with God. A lack of comfort does not necessarily mean that the threshold of an open door should not be traversed. In fact, quite the opposite. When we have a level of anxiety, it only heightens our awareness of the fact that we need help from God. We need God's help. The comfort factor is simply that we do not judge what God wants us to do based on whether or not it makes us feel comfortable. One of the best traits of doorbusters is that they tend to have a healthy disregard for their own comfort and security. The comfort factor is definitely something we need to guard against. But there's another factor that we need to embrace, the confidence factor. In a sermon last week, Jason Aubrey made a statement about open doors that really rings true. It's not always about making the perfect choice or picking the perfect door, but rather it's how you go through the open door that makes the difference. In Jason's context, he could have hung his head when he didn't get the job, the the exact job that he thought that he wanted or he thought he deserved, but he didn't do that. Instead, in each situation, he went in, giving it 100%, looking to see how God might want to use him in the job that he had. And because he did, he was used by God to accomplish great things. Coaches heard about Jesus. Players saw what a coach who loves Jesus looks like in a way that they never had before. How we go through open doors can be the difference between making a big impact or making no impact. You see, like Jason, we have two options when it comes to making life decisions. We can tiptoe 
our way through open doors that God gives us, or we can lunge towards them, holding nothing back. This coming from the guy who had to get thrown through the open door. You see, while comfort, the comfort factor prods us to rely on our own strength, our own know-how, and our own ability, the confidence factor pushes us to rely on God's strength, God's know-how, and God's ability. Open doors are not a guarantee of ease or success. They're challenging. They're hard. They might be difficult. They require a serious commitment on our part because you can't go through an open door halfway. You're either through the door or you're not. Can you imagine Moses walking up to Pharaoh and saying, well, Pharaoh, well, it'd really be nice if you would let the people of Israel go. Uh, God would really like that. But hey, it's cool. It's, it's up to you. You're, you know, if you decide you don't want to, I don't want to push the issue. You know? Can you imagine that? No way. Moses' crisis of confidence happened at the burning bush when he was looking at himself. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not ready. I can't do it. I don't talk good. But when he stopped focusing on himself and started focusing on God, everything changed. Timid, slow-speaking Moses became the bold instrument that God used to free his people from 400 years of slavery. The fact that we can have confidence in God should change the way that we approach the opportunities that he gives us. Instead of approaching the challenges with a spirit of timidity, we should be chomping at the bit to invest our time, our money, our energy, and our resources into making the most of every opportunity that we come across. As Orberg writes, the main thing, the main thing Jesus sends into the world is not what we do, it's who we are. What the world needs is not simply isolated outward deeds, but transformed character from within. That's what God wants to do, wants to change who we are. That's what Jesus wants to release into the world. And we demonstrate our confidence in him by how we cross the threshold with boldness, with vigor, 100%, wholeheartedly. The final factor that we need to have in order to become great threshold-crossing people is the communication factor. Have you ever gone on a long walk with someone and neither of you are talking? It's just quiet. It's just silent for a while. That can be nice for a while. At some point, somebody has to say something or we're not communicating, even if it's only to say, hey, let's go in this direction over here. The same is true on our walk with God. As we humbly walk with God, we need to talk with Him. We need to listen to Him. We need to have an open line of communication with Him. Nowhere is this illustrated more clearly than with the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Their names are Saul and David. You can read their stories in the books of First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. Saul was tall. David was not. Saul had a humble beginning, but his confidence factor rested squarely on his own shoulders. David had a humble beginning, but his confidence was in God. Saul did what he thought 
was right in his own mind. David communicated with God regularly to decide what to do. Saul's reign was marked by disobedience to God, reckless behavior, and foolish decisions. In 1 Samuel 15, the part of the chapter that we read earlier, Saul was given clear instructions for how he was to handle a particular enemy nation uh, of Israel. Rather than doing what God said to the letter of the law, Saul did about 80%, maybe 85%. Who knows why? Maybe Saul just hadn't been in close enough communication with God to ever bother to ask for clarification. Maybe Saul just didn't feel a peace about going through the open door that God had for him. Whatever the reason, Saul did it his way. And in 1 Samuel 15, 11, we get to see God's opinion of Saul's threshold-crossing capability. God said, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Saul got an F. His communication with God was basically non-existent. Contrast Saul's lack of communication with his successor, David. At every turn, David is inquiring of the Lord, asking him for guidance, asking him for clarification. Uh, In 1 Samuel 23, 4, we read, Once again, David inquired of the Lord and asked him, and, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am giving... I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. 1 Samuel 38, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. 2 Samuel 2, 1, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where should I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So there's this pattern, and you can see it over and over again. This is just a small sampling of Saul inquiring of himself, David inquiring of the Lord. In fact, David gets into trouble when he doesn't inquire of the Lord. But over and over again, we see this David David inquiring of the Lord. David adopted a really good policy for most of his life that we can learn to emulate. Whenever he came to a door, he asked. He inquired of the Lord, is this an open door? No, this is not an open door. What about this door over here? Is this an open door? No, not that one. How about this other one? He asked. He simply asked God. We can do the same thing. When we're unsure about a decision, we should inquire of the Lord. When we have to choose between two good things, we should seek God's counsel. That should be our default move, just like it was for David. David cooperated with God's will for his life. He had a high curiosity factor, and that led him to communicate frequently with God. And the more he communicated, the less he relied on being comfortable in his own abilities, and the more he was able to confidently walk through the doors that God opened for him. Let's be like Moses. Let's be like David. Let's be doorbusters, not door admirers, for the sake of God's kingdom and his righteousness. The five factors are, are up on the screen here. There may be one of them 
that for you, this, this is the one. It's the cooperation factor. I'm, I'm not cooperating right now. Or the curiosity factor. I'm, I'm not looking. I'm not really, I'm so involved in my own stuff. I'm not seeking God's kingdom. Might be the comfort factor. That's scary. I, I'm, I'm going to say no to this opportunity because I'm afraid. Might be the confidence factor. Might be the communication factor. Whatever it is, pick the one. Pick the one. And just spend the week talking to God about it. Open that line of communication. God, is this an open door? Is that an open door? Let's talk to him. God, you are all powerful. uh, And it is just amazing to us. You can do whatever you want. um, But you have chosen to work through people. People like Moses. People like David. People like us. It's our heartfelt desire to know your will. Help us to walk humbly with you, to seek it, to find it. And God, I pray that you would help us as individuals and as a church to accomplish great things for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, John. Our servers are going to come receive the morning offering, and as they do, uh, I've just got to tell you, having... We had a lot of people here at the wedding uh, from church, and it was just—it was so cool uh, to spend that time with you. Uh, so again, thank you for that because it is—it's—it's it's official. And you know, we're talking about crossing thresholds. I think the hardest threshold I've had to cross was the, the threshold walking onto the plane to come home from Mexico because uh, that place—it ah, it was amazing. All right, it was very fun, very good trip. Uh, but now, uh, snap back to reality. Here we go. Uh, we are starting up Revive tonight. Uh, from 6 to 8, we're back into our schedule. This Wednesday, uh, Refuge is uh, from 6.30 to 8.30. And Refuge, you do need to bring a towel and a change of clothes, all right? We'll post that, uh, but it's, it's going to be a little messy, all right? So you guys, uh, be sure to do that. It's going to be a great week. Next week, uh, Big Kids is back in action uh, and Little Kids. So again, uh, we're getting back into the swing of things. Now, we do have, uh, it's, it's going to be a very different look for a lot of groups because, well, my youngest sibling, my little brother, and Blake, uh, his now roommate, they're already down in Texas on their way. Uh, we've got one leaving for Kentucky this Tuesday. We've got one leaving for Northern on Friday. Uh, we've got one leaving for U of I here soon. So, I mean, we've got students leaving us galore, all right? So, what that means is, you students, uh, we've got big shoes to fill. Uh, so, again, get those invites out. Bring them in uh, because, again, we can... We can Keep this going, all right? So it's going to be a really great fall. We're looking forward to a lot of great things. If you would, uh, go ahead and stand with me, and we'll close in prayer. God, we've got a lot of students uh, who are about to cross a big threshold. Uh, I pray for them uh, as they enter these new worlds uh, in college uh, or entering high school, entering junior high, elementary school, whatever their next step is, God, uh, we, we pray for their school year. We pray uh, that you give them the confidence not only to, uh, to succeed, but also to stand up for you, uh, to stand up um, in the face of a world who is trying to turn away from you. Uh, God, help our students to be uh, just incredible influences uh, in their schools. We pray for the teachers who now have to uh, come back and, again, just give them the energy that they need to start off the school year right. And, uh, again, just we thank you and we... Uh, Look forward to just an an amazing fall. 
We, pr- we praise you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a great Sunday.